Today we're going to talk about the root of our sin issues. And if you're anything like me, you have a sin problem. And, and it keeps coming back, and you keep uh, struggling with those things. And that's what we're going to talk about. What is at the root of that problem? See, many times we can get stuck in this sin cycle, knowing that you're saved, uh, you've gone to church maybe for a long time, and you even try and read your Bible from time to time when you think of it. You pray sometimes too. When preachers preach, you, you feel real bad about the sin that's in your life, and sometimes you go forward and even ask God to forgive you. But then normally you go right back to that sin within a week or so. And you're stuck in this cycle where you know you're a true follower of Christ, but you sin, then you ask for forgiveness, then you struggle for a little while, and then you go right back to that same sin. And you long to see real change happen in your life, but it eludes you, and you begin to become hopeless, that this is just who I am. I cannot get fixed. I cannot get past this. Well, John 8, 35 tells us that sin makes us its slave. Sin makes us its slave, and that's a problem. But see, I believe for many of us that we've dis, uh, misdiagnosed the cure for our sin problem. And if you don't know the cure for your sin problem, there's going to be an issue there because you cannot battle somebody, you cannot win a battle unless you understand the enemy, right? So if you're going to kill a werewolf, you need to shoot it with a what? Silver bullet. Everybody knows that. <laughs> if you're going to kill a vampire, you put a stake through his heart, right? If you're going to kill a mummy, you hit him with a car, maybe, right? That might work. <laughs> but if you don't understand what you're fighting, you're not going to be able to win that battle. You need to understand the sin issue before you can conquer them for good. I know in my life, I've often misdiagnosed my sin issue. And Jimmy Needham says it like this way, that we look at our sin from a judicial point of view, that God gave us this law, and we violate this law regularly, and now our job as Christians is to, is to figure out how to stop violating that law. That's how we look at it, that God gave us a law, we break the law, and now we got to try harder, we got to do better, we got to figure something out to stop violating the law. But here's what the Bible says in Romans 7, 4 about our sin issue and looking at it from a judicial point of view. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at a work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which has held us captive, so we, that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Another version says, not in the old way of the letter of the law. See, we're no longer under the law. We're no longer under do's and don'ts, or in other words, religion. No, instead we're called to something higher, something better, and it's a relationship. See, God just doesn't want us to obey the law. He wants us to bring forth spiritual fruit, and healthy things bring forth fruit. He wants us to produce. And here's the key. Your walk with God is not about 
doing, it's about being. It's not about doing, it's about being. See, the law just tells us what not to do. But it's not enough just not to do things. God commands us through Christ that we would do things because he calls us to do something. Romans 6.14 tells us that sin will no longer have dominion over you. Does that classify where you're at in your Christian walk, that sin no longer has dominion over you? It says, since you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're no longer under the law, but under grace? By no means. See, we aren't under the do's and don'ts anymore. We're under grace. We're under the love and forgiveness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But verse 15 tells us that he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. He wants us to walk in a newness of life. He wants us to be like Jesus. Just because we're no longer under the law doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want. God forbid, by no means. See, Jesus is more than just salvation. He's your savior every day. It's more than just saying, oh, dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And that's where your relationship with him ends. No, it's an everyday. God, I need you to work in me today. I need you to help me to be like you today. See, our sin problem is not just that we break God's law and then we need to figure out how not to break God's law anymore. That's not what it's about. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God himself tells us our issue. God gives us the right diagnosis. And it's not a problem of breaking the law. He's speaking here in this chapter to the people of Israel who have that same problem that we do, this sin cycle. It starts, they leave Egypt, right? You remember that? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go, that whole part, right? They leave Egypt. They begin to complain. God punishes them. And then they get right. And then they go and worship idols. And God punishes them. Then they get right again. And they get up to the promised land. And they don't go in. And they disobey God. And God punishes them. Then they get right. And it's over and over and over and over and over again. And here's what God said about the real problem that those people had. And I believe that if you'll look at it, you're going to understand that it's our problem as well. And here it is. Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, or wells. They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Right there, God tells us that we have two problems. The first is, we don't want what he has. And the second is, we go and try and fill ourselves with empty things. God is saying, I have this living water, and I want you to have something that can satisfy you, but you'd rather go out and dig your own wells and cisterns that are broken, and they won't even hold water. See, our problems as Christians aren't judicial, just breaking the law. No, our crime is deeper. It's a problem of appetite. It's a problem of what we crave and what we love. Much of Jesus' ministry on this earth dealt with appetite. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That means house of bread. Jesus was born in a manger, or in other words, a feeding trough. He turned water into wine for a wedding party. 
He offered living water to the woman at the well. He fed 5,000 people on one occasion and 4,000 people on another occasion. In fact, John 6.35 says that Jesus said, this is what Jesus said about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, I am water, I am food, but you want to go and eat somewhere else, and you're filling yourself with these things that are broken and empty. See, that's our crime. That's our problem. That God is standing there with outstretched arms, offering everything that we need in him, but we'd rather go and find other answers, other places. See, wrong appetites, though, show a flawed understanding of who God is. See, if you really knew who God was and you really understood who God was, you would know, I can never be filled with these things. This is the only thing that would satisfy me. But instead, we're attracted by lesser love to lesser things. We crave love from people, love from our music, love from the feeling that we get when we eat, love from uh, looking in a mirror, love we get from standing on a stage and people applaud, love from pornography, love from being considered religious or respected, love from being taken seriously, love from praise and flattery, love from flirtation and relationships with someone outside of our marriage, lesser love. From lesser things. See, the prodigal son found out pretty quick that the wells of this world are broken and empty. Luke 15, 16 tells us that the prodigal son got to a point where he was longing to be fed with the husk and pods of this world, and no one gave it to him. See, the prodigal son left his father's house of bounty to eat garbage in a pig pen. But see, what we miss is that these things that we chase are nothing compared to the feast that Jesus is for your life. But see, if you haven't tasted it, if someone tried to explain it to you, it would be like explaining a steak to someone who's only ever ate crystal hamburgers. It would be like trying to explain what it's like to have a homemade apple pie to someone who's only ever ate Twinkies. Hey, it's this thing that you can't explain. You have to experience Jesus. And a a pastor can get up and talk about your Christianity and taking it to the the next level and really experiencing closeness with God in a personal relationship. And honestly, if you were to be true with yourself, you have no idea what they're talking about. Why? Because we're pretty happy feasting on the garbage that this world throws at our feet. But if you only knew, if you only knew, if you just try God out, If you just taste and see that the Lord is good, you would see all these things that you've been chasing after are nothing compared to what we have in Jesus. So what if we would just forget so much about the laws of do's and don'ts and thought more about changing our appetite, really our core issue? See, the Pharisees had more do's and don'ts than anyone could ever keep up to. In fact, they had so many do's and don'ts that they missed Jesus. Jesus couldn't even live up to their level of religiosity. I want you to picture this. If Jesus walked in the room today, what would he look like? Would he have a three-piece suit on with a Bible as big as a table under his arm and a hair slicked back? See, some of us are more churchy than Jesus would be. So the real Jesus, if you look at him, he really broke a lot of religious laws and faux pas. 
On several occasions, once he, he picked corn on the Sabbath when the church law said not to. He ate with sinners when that was deemed wrong by the religious elite. He told a man to carry his bed on the Sabbath when religious law said different. Now, is it wrong to dress up for church? Obviously not. That's awesome. But if that's what you're filling yourself with, you're going to be, end up empty and bitter and judgmental. Why? Because religion doesn't work. If you think about it, what you, mar- what you wear not, doesn't make you one step closer to God. And if you think it does, your priorities are out of whack. You're missing out on the point of this whole thing. You're missing, much like the Pharisees did, Jesus. I once had a fellow preacher ask me what other preachers thought about the fact that I had a goatee and a beard. I wanted to slap that guy. I wanted to say, look, Jesus had a beard for one. Two, I'm not trying to be like other preachers. I want to be like Jesus. Romans 16, 18 tells us that there are people, though, that serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. They don't serve Jesus. They serve their hunger and their their thirst and their desire and their lust. But see, we need to stop feeding ourselves by comparing our level of Christianity to the person sitting next to us and begin to remember that Jesus' presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. See, oftentimes we like to watch the news or, or look on social media and we see people that we disagree with and we deem that they are wrong and we begin to feel a lot better about ourselves. That's called pride, arrogance. See, sin doesn't start with an action. Fornication, sex outside of your marriage doesn't start with sex. No, it starts with a craving. It starts with the want. Murder doesn't start with the violent act. It starts with hate and anger. It starts with the craving. It starts with the desire. James 1.14 tells us that each person is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lusts. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. See, the crime isn't so much about the do's and the don'ts. It's about how Jesus is standing before you today wanting to be wanted, and you don't want him. God wants nothing more than you to sit and to be quiet and to get to know him. God wants to fill you. He wants to take away your emptiness. He wants to take away your guilt and your shame. And he wants to fill you with amazing joy and peace and comfort. I had a church member just a few minutes ago tell me about how he ran from God and how the world was empty. But now as he's serving God, he's so filled with joy and peace. And he about start preaching about how much The difference is when he stopped feasting on the empty things of this world and started feasting on Jesus. See, the real problem is not that you told a dirty joke or you looked at something you shouldn't have or said something you shouldn't have. The real problem is that you wanted that more than you wanted God. Colossians 3.2 tells us to set our mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. So today, instead of this whole list of do's and don'ts that you think about when you think about your relationship with God or when you think about church, instead of this whole laundry list of things, let's deal with the one sin. God, I'm sorry I didn't want you. 
God, help me to crave you. God, change my appetites. God, I'm sorry I chose sin over you. God, help me to seek and push and pursue anything that connects me with you. God, help me to stop feeling guilty about the do's and don'ts that I can never live up to and instead help me worry about why I'm not craving God. God, change my appetite. The old hymn says this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, the cure for your sin problem is not willpower. It's not trying harder. No, the cure for your sin problem is feasting on Jesus, the bread of life, and what he did for you on the cross so much that you no longer crave the things of this world. You're going to drink deep of the fountain of living water till there's no possible way you can thirst for anything else. And treasure Jesus and feast on him and want him and pursue him and push towards him. And as you do this, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And you'll see that everything else that you thought was real love was just a mirage. It was just a shadow of the real light of the world. And the real love that you really desired. Everything else will pale in comparison. For my people... I've committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Where are you at today? Where, what have you been digging? Maybe you're at the bottom of a well, and you realize it's dry and it's empty, and you say, I can't get out. What have you been digging Instead, let's set our minds on things that are above, not the things of this earth. Let's stop the cycle. Let's ask God to give us a newness of life, to change our appetite. Stop trying to find water on your own with broken cisterns that hold no water. And instead, go to Jesus, the fountain of living water, and never thirst again. Stand to our feet and bow our heads as the worship band comes. With every head bowed and eyes closed. This is a time of response, a time of meditation, and where you're asking God, God, what are the broken things that I've been trying to squeeze life out of, and really I know that in the end life is only found in you. God, forgive me for digging my own wells. Instead of drinking from the fountain of living water. I want you to ask God that right now. God, what have I been filling myself with? God, what have I been feasting on? Altars open this morning. Once again, it's not a place that's magical or... You know, you can definitely deal with things on your, on your own at your seat. But there's something special about the posture of prayer. 
saying, God, I don't care about what anybody else thinks. I surrender completely and wholly to you. God, forgive me for these things that I've been chasing. God, I'm so empty, and I know it's because I haven't been filling myself with you. God, help me to put down my list of do's and don'ts that I feel so guilty that I never can fulfill. And God, help me to just get to the point that I don't want you. And I want other things more than I want a relationship with you. The altar's open now. As you deal with these things, and as you work through these things, and as God's finished working in you, you sing along with the music.